Okay, so now we're uh, in uh, the new year, 2020. Uh, I thought it'd be a good chance for us to catch up uh, on uh, a number of items. I think uh, a good way to start, though, is to look at look at the year ahead and um, uh, what's kind of on the horizon, what we can expect um, from a political standpoint, especially from uh, we're in an election year now. Uh, so just wanted to see what uh, you thought about that and um, you know, just dive in. Well, you know, the stage is pretty much set as we go from 2019 to 2020. What I mean by that is that the Iowa caucuses, which really puts everything into the reality, not just the polling or who did well in the debates or who fumbled or who didn't, it really starts the voting. And the interesting thing in the caucuses is the first two, Iowa and New Hampshire, are within the top five whitest states in the United States. So as critical as they are in terms of the outset for campaigns in the primary season, uh, it really doesn't reflect a Democratic base at all. So who comes out of there is going to be catapulted into front-runner or top-tier status but in reality, it doesn't really reflect the American electorate. Uh, the only thing that has a, a, an extended impact, I think, is that Iowa's in the Midwest, so some of the battleground states relative to the Midwest will give you some indication because they're pretty wide. So as we go into the 2020, we have 14 candidates left. Uh, Raul Castro has dropped out. Uh, Beto is long gone. Uh, the big thing out of 2019 was Kamala Harris. And then as we went into the December debate, the whole issue of uh, the Democratic Party being touted as the party of diversity, really there was only one non-white candidate on the dais, and that was Andrew Yang. And as we go into 2020, the reports right now are really focused on the fundraising and really gives you an idea of what is going to play out for the rest of the year, I think. I mean, Bernie is so darn strong. He comes in with $35 million in the last quarter, uh, $35 million raised. But his numbers have been consistent. And that's the same reflection I have on Joe Biden. Joe Biden, as much as he's in the news, and Hunter, his son, is in the news, and this gaffe and this misstatement, he has steadily stayed at the same poll numbers relative to national polling, and his fundraising has really bounced up, as it seems, in this last quarter. So he's in it for the long run. Uh, the two new guys that entered at the end of the year, the money guys, uh, God, the amount of money they're spending, the only advantage I see beyond these vanity campaigns, because they're really not going to get into the top tier, is the fact that the money they're going to spend, as long as it's being spent on attacking Trump and not the other Democratic candidates, could have a real impact. So the $150 million that Trump has in his kitty, I don't know how much is uh, unexpended at this point, because he's spending and burning a lot of money. I mean, we just got another piece in the mail from Donald Trump uh, just yesterday, so... He's mailing not just Republicans, everybody. he's mailing to everybody. So they're spending their money. So the stage is set, I think, with the 14 candidates remaining. 
The top tier is uh, pretty much the same with uh, Biden, Bernie. Uh, it's apparently Buttigieg is third over Elizabeth Warren, who's faded. Hmm. And interestingly, it was Elizabeth Warren hasn't reported on her fundraising for the last quarter, although there seems to be an acknowledgement that she didn't do as well as before. Uh, she's slipping in the polls. But uh, Kobachar has really been hanging in there in terms of the Midwest approach and how she can win in the, the battleground states. But the other person that's been really interesting in terms of the staying power and sustainability of his campaign is Andrew Yang. And I think people are really, uh, uh, really like Andrew Yang around his common sense approach to a lot that's going on. So whether it's not UBI, uh, universal basic income, or his freedom dividend, that's sort of the old story, but it's still a key to his whole approach. But the context he uses this concept in being the issue of jobs, automation, what's happening to the economy, I think is really resonating with people. He's not going to get into the top tier. His fundraising keeps him in the debates. Uh, he does well in the debates in terms of common sense. I like a lot of his approach because he's not just signing off on all of the litmus test questions that the Democrats, particularly the progressive Democrats, have relative to Medicare for all, free college, all of these different things. He's saying that in spirit he agrees with them, but basically when it comes down to how it's going to be implemented, how it's going to be paid for, He's pretty much got common sense relative to this just ain't going to happen, not all of it anyway. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that he's had a, a voice in that I think has been resonating, um, although not in the media, but resonating I think among voters, is he's saying all of this talk about impeachment, he knows and we all know that it had to happen, but this diversion of attention on impeachment really is taking the argument away from what needs to be put for front and center relative to the campaign, which is the issues that the Democrats are going to run on. And those issues are going to be the ones that are going to be discussed at the proverbial kitchen table. And so they're economically based and other things as well. So we got to get back to those discussions. Healthcare, huge as, as usual, but it's really been played out in terms of, not played out in terms of too much, but in terms of the landscape with Bernie, clearly saying that it's going to be Medi-Cal for all, and yes, it's going to be higher taxes, but the trade-off is going to be less money being spent on your med medical expenses, co-pays, etc. Uh, Elizabeth Warren has taken a major hit because she's changing her position, which is the problem that Kamala Harris had, so she's now trying to change her position from Medi-Cal to all to something much more moderate. Buttigieg has been solid on his view as a moderate. So is Joe Biden. Joe Biden's got a little bit of a problem, though, with the court case relative to Obamacare. But him talking about a public option and adding on to what has already been done, I think really is solid in terms of looking at things. The issues that all the candidates have to look at, and they're making some concessions probably more behind the scenes, is with labor, the organized unions, the organized labor aspect of the Democratic party, which is really key, is that they have negotiated great contracts in large part. I mean, there's less union membership than there ever has been, but 
They've negotiated good contracts on the benefit side, so they don't want to give that up. So it's interesting to see this thing play out. And in the midst of all of this, <clears throat> you have the impeachment and you have President Trump and his situation. But uh, what have your friends been saying? You've been hanging out with them during the holidays. Uh, we spent a lot of time with a lot of people in November because Joey got married. But what have your friends been saying relative to the campaign? Any discussion at all as we turn into the new year? Mm, I think there's, <clears throat> I think there's a lot of um, fatigue mm. uh, around political discussions, and I think it's, I think it's partially because now more than ever, because of uh, social media and you know and and our you know, access on our phones. It's more than just, before you would just see political news on the news at, you know, in the morning and then at night or in the newspaper. And now you're just, you're rammed with it constantly throughout the day, anytime you're on your phone, whether it's stories or ads or um, tweets or whatever it is, it's, it's tiresome. I know I, I definitely have to take breaks when because I am on because of my job I'm on Twitter all the time, but I have to take breaks from just consuming that content because it's it's you know it's tiresome, and so much of it is driven by clickbait, right? They they the headlines and the tweets are all just trying to get you to click in, and drive traffic to their website, get people to watch videos, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it's inflammatory. It's mm. it's they take things out of context. Um, so having to weave through all of that on a constant basis, I think is 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 um, is a lot. And then double down on that is is the the just you know inflammatory nature of of Trump. And um, you know whether I mean part of it is on purpose and part of it is just because he's a loose cannon and. You know, but he puts out crazy stuff all the time, right? And strategically, anything's working out for him because it deadens you to... I mean, there's not a lower bar that has been set for a president in terms of moral, ethical, or just, you know, operational as, a, as the leader of, of our country. And, it, and he's done it himself. It's not like the people have rammed him down. It's, it's based on just his constant um, behavior and stuff he puts out there, and um, people get numb to it. Uh, so I don't, you know, a lot of people don't want to talk about it. I think, I think there's, um, I think, because the the political news cycle is, it's not every four years now. It's just every, all the time, mm. right? Um, you don't like Olympics, right? Olympics, everybody gets fired up and gets excited every four years. They're really into it. Um, I think politics used to be more on that on that, you know, from a national cycle more on that cycle. Um, now it's just constant, right? So I think it seems like people are, are just like, okay, let's get closer and then we can dive in, right? And 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 really debate once we feel, I mean, the, the field is so big from on the Democratic side. Now we're getting to the, the you know, the who's going to be in there for the long run into November. Um, so, I mean, I, I think the Andrew Yang thing is something that pops up. I think because it's it's like brass. T it's like the basics. It's not it's not inflammatory. It's not rhetoric. It's like just interesting stuff 
that affects people on day to day. And we were willing to have conversations, more more willing to have conversations around that. Um, but yeah, I mean the the diversity thing definitely comes up. I think when when um, on the last panel or the last debate, they asked Andrew Yang about that, and he said he was both proud and extremely disappointed that he was the only one out there from a um, from an ethnic diversity standpoint. Um, so you have a a pretty large group of friends. Your village is pretty big. What did they talk about at the end of the year, at the end of the decade? We talk about our families. We talk about jobs. People people move around jobs. We talk about... Um, How about jobs, the moving around? Are they looking at from the standpoint of all the opportunity out there or woe is me, I'm afraid the job's going to lose change or I think for the most part and it may be just I mean our group my group is is unique to to me obviously but um, for the most part we're pretty successful group of people private sector right private for the most part most part private sector um, that are that are successful because they're they're obviously smart and well you know and and are hardworking and and put themselves in a position where that there is opportunity. Because there is a lot of opportunity out there. But there's also not a lot of opportunity for other people, right? It's uh, like it always is. There's always a balance. But for us, I mean, for the most part, I think people are okay. Like we're not, you know, and, and so people are trying to look forward and look upward. Um, so we're immune to a lot of, I think, a lot of the um, issues that are brought up on the campaign trail. You know, I think from a, like when you bring up uh, health insurance, right? I think that doesn't that doesn't hit. It may hit a, hit our group more negatively than it would positively when it, when it goes to like universal um, healthcare, right? Like I think we're some some of us may be like, oh well, we want a private option because we want we can afford to pay more for better service for more access, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, because we can't, because we can afford that, and we're just in a position to do that. Describe your group. Uh, Ethically, they're mainly Asian, right? Yeah, primarily Asian. Uh, a mix of, you know, like like us, like multi-generational Americans, uh, Asian Americans. Uh, we have some that are first, first generation. Um, all... Uh, and primarily dual income families. Um, and ethically, when you say Asian American, you mean that literally. They're Japanese, Chinese, they're Japanese, Thai. We have a um, good handful that are, that are both Japanese American, that are, the family's all Japanese American, but there's a lot of mix, yeah. And in those mixes, yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely mixed. Um, all college educated. All college educated, but I mean, not we don't have any Ivy League people, right? Oh. For the most part, where it's and we have a lot of Cal State Long Beach, um, you know, State UCs. We're not, we're not, yeah, we're not coming from Ivy Premier League. Premier universities. Um, 
we don't have any doctors or anything, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, just, you know, some lawyers and things like that. But um, a lot of it's, a lot of, a lot of them are business focused. And what do you think their sense of their future is? Hopeful, uh, filled with opportunity, looking for changing uh, to Im- improve people's lot in life. And I think hopeful. I think, I think confident because I think our group, for the most part, really takes our future in our own hands. Right? We don't. We're not relying on other people or other forces to to keep pushing us forward. Um, so I, I think that gives us a, some freedom and uh, autonomy from from other factors that are going on. You know when how this intersects with this presidential discussion is uh, I think it's going to be interesting when people go into the booth. I think there's going to be high voter turnout because ultimately once people get through this uh, period of uh, being inundated with the campaign and it gets down to the two finalists, um, when they get into the booth to vote, the uh, ongoing thinking relative to uh, uh, political thought is that if you're an incumbent president going in for a re-election and the economy is good, the likelihood of winning is very, very high. Mm-hmm. So when people go into the booth and have been inundated by the shenanigans of this crazy-ass president we have, and it sort of establishes uh, a new normal, mm-hmm and they look to their pocketbook and they look to the economic kitchen table coffee shop coffee house discussions about uh, what's their best interest how are they going to vote you know we if you look at the media it depends on who's reporting and your point about it being 24 7 is i think going to really have an impact but when you look at that, it's a matter of deciphering the source of the information, oh, yeah. you know, where they lean. And the leaning is so heavy now that if it's CNN or it's Fox, I mean, you just sort of have to occasionally watch both, which I do, just to get some sense of what different sides are thinking. But in that decision-making process in the booth, when they think about their future and who's best for their future... Uh, it's going to be an interesting decision that people are making. Uh, for me, the number one question I ask is not who you're supporting, and everybody knows we're Democrats and, and dyed-in-the-wool Democrats. Some people might describe me in my political career as definitely being progressive. The term I ended up using is being independent because I uh, tried to independently look at all the issues rather than sort of knee-jerk reaction to mm-hmm. the ideology of one or another uh, point of view, moderate or progressive. But in looking at that issue, it's been really a case for me, not who you're supporting, which is important during the primary part of this process, who you support as your primary candidate. My number one question is, are you committed to voting for whoever wins at the end? Mm-hmm. Whoever comes out as our, our candidate, uh, are you willing to support that candidate? Or are you going to be someone that says, well, I'm going to take my ball and go home? You know, my guy or my gal didn't win. 
and so I'm just not going to participate. Well, that's going to be our death now. They had studies, um, I don't know what the polls were or whatever, that that measured, um, I, I don't remember, it was Bernie, must have been Bernie, Bernie supporters and how they voted um, in the election. In 2016. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it was a surprising number that, that voted for Trump. Surprising. Well, you know, the all the candidates have their issues, plus and minus. I mean, Joe Biden, uh, whether people talk about uh, how he hugs women or how uh, he stumbles over his own tongue or how Hunter Biden is going to be brought up in the, the campaign, um, other issues that he has relative to past political positions he's taken, uh, he's not going to be attacked on integration desegregation by Trump. Um, he's going to be attacked by Trump around Hunter and the Ukraine, and, and everybody's got to have a sense that, you know, somebody's son... And if you look at political people, everybody at different levels of office have had trouble with their children. Um, it's clear that Hunter Biden wouldn't be getting these jobs had he not been the son of the vice president of the United States. Look at the president. I mean, his whole half his cabinet is... Well, that, that's going to be the zero-sum game. They're going to both be pointing at each other's uh, internal teams and how they've benefited... Mm -hmm from office. I mean, it's interesting, uh, Michelle and uh, the President Obama have just recently bought a $15 million home in Martha's Vineyard. I'm sure they didn't put cash down on it, but they had it financed. But $15 million is a pretty expensive home. Where he got that money, you know, all the things in terms of being a president, who knows? Um, so there's that problem of the traditional political candidates running. The progressives, if you look like Ed Bernie and Elizabeth Warren, um, they got problems with people of color. And what I mean by that is that uh, I think there's going to be a good number of people that ideologically and philosophically will be supportive of them that are people of color. But most of the influencers in the black community uh, in the Latino community, although it's not as high profile, and definitely in the Asian community, they're all stone-cold capitalists. You know, so if you're telling them that after all of these centuries of fighting to get their fair share of the pie and to be treated and to finally get on some semblance of a level playing field, that now that we're making money in a part of the capitalist system and getting a bit of our share that now you want to redistribute the wealth and white people are telling these people of color uh, Oprah's the capitalist, Magic Johnson, you go down the list of athletes and entertainers whether they're making it rain with dollar bills or whatever these folks are all about capitalism and they've paid their dues to get there to get to be capitalists so this whole thing about redistributing the wealth I have a good friend that's a power behind-the-scenes person in the Latino political world. Uh, he's a businessman, and he tells me that we're going to govern as Democrats, but I want to live like a Republican. So when people start talking about socialism, and at least they will see they're talking about democratic socialism, because ultimately it's going to be a hybrid economy and hybrid 
society in terms of a combination of capitalism and socialism is not going to be purists one way or another. Um, that when we look at these issues, if people say, like Bernie says, he's a socialist, although he's running on the Democratic ticket, uh, it's going to be hard for people of color to swallow. Those that uh, are struggling and, and even the folks in the middle class, working class, they're looking at this in terms of in a perfect example is health care. They're sort of saying, well, wait a minute, we fought to get these things and now you're going to say we have to pay extra to give it to other people? It's going to be a real hard sell. Mm. And it's going to need to be a process of change that's going to be relatively incremental. It's not going to be four years that we're going to have Medicare for all. I mean, I don't think anybody believes that, even Bernie. Bernie's been in government his whole life, and he knows how government works, and it doesn't move quickly at all. So that's a problem that uh, Elizabeth Warren's having as being the uh, sort of the smartest girl in the class. Uh, She's the woman in the back of the class that's got the answer every time. Mm -hmm. And now she's finding problems with that because you don't have the answers every time. It's been a process of really looking at how to do things and make change. And that's one thing she has going for her is not only plans, but she's been in the U.S. Senate a while and has been fighting on the economic financial front for a long, long time. I really look at some of her policies and whether or not they can be implemented or not remain to be discussed. But she's got good policy stuff. The one I don't understand is Buttigieg, why he's doing so damn well. You know, other than, you know, seeing him on the debate stage and he seems to be very smart and mm-hmm. thoughtful. Um, I don't know if the country's ready for a, a gay president. That's a pretty big leap. Um, I think it's going to take a process to get there, especially if you're mayor of a small city in Indiana. You know, how do you think that you can, at uh, his level of experience, he's going to be negotiating on the world stage? I just think he doesn't have the experience. I would hope he would run for governor or U.S. Senate and go from there. I would hope that Corey... uh, uh, Booker would uh, become the leader of the United States Senate because the United States Senate is stopping everything. You know, we could win the presidency, but the U.S. Senate is going to stop everything. Yeah. So we got to win that battle, but all the top people seem to be focusing on the presidential campaign. So there's a lot of difficulty everybody's having in this. But I think that ultimately, it's what I said from the very beginning, I think Joe Biden is making a deal with the African-American political establishment that he's going to appoint an African-American woman to be vice president. And that's really smart. Because the African-American vote gets out the vote. There's going to be some suppression of the black vote in states where they can get away with it. The African-American vote is a strong vote. The Latino vote is really going to show itself but they don't have anybody in particular I think they're getting behind that much. Mm-hmm. I know the progressives that I know are with Bernie. They're not with Elizabeth Warren, they're with Bernie. You know, and, and they really believe in Bernie. But the Latino community, the Mexican-American community I know, the established American-born community, is very conservative and moderate. They are. I mean, and they're capitalists too. Mm. 
in the Asian community, we're not all rich, crazy Asians, but a lot of the Asian community that's going to be newer generations to vote, they're all stone-cold capitalists. They want to make money. It's like this new comedian, what's his name, Robert uh, uh, Chang or yeah, something yeah. like that. The one thing he talks about in his uh, really funny monologue is about uh, Chinese when they're looking at wishing people well for the new year, for the Chinese New Year, the whole thing is about wealth. The red envelope. What's going to be in that red envelope? They're about money. And that's real. That's real. So, I think in terms of this issue, it's going to be the team, the presidential candidate, and who the vice presidential candidate is going to be. So it's going to be the team evolving into the ticket. And that's going to be the winning winning combination the ticket and I think that people better not take Trump lightly and the gun games that are being played by Pelosi around the impeachment and, and we'll get into that but uh, it's a dangerous game they're playing it's a dangerous game they're playing and that's why Andrew Yang's voice of common sense saying okay let's not be distracted by this let's not put everything on Trump and that he's been the cause of all this trouble. The trouble in the economy in terms of what he's defining has been going on long before Trump became president. This whole move toward automation, this whole move toward what jobs are going to be viable, what careers are going to be viable in the future is going to be a, the number one issue ultimately.